I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. It's a really interesting one this week. My guest, I've actually been looking at her face on a slide for the last few months I've been using her as a case study and her business as a case study. And finally, three weeks ago, we got to meet. She's kindly agreed to do this podcast. So I'm really looking forward to, to this conversation. It's Kate Parker, who is the marketing manager at Forster, which is an organization that I think does PR for social causes. Their website is forster.co.uk. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, well, <laughs> great. I mean, let's, let's have a, a really interesting discussion. Why don't we start with, actually, let me put this into context because it's a slightly different, I suppose, from some of the episodes I've done before, but I think it's going to be really interesting to, you're in an, an organization that's won awards, you've won Britain's Healthiest Workplace for the work you do with wellbeing. And you know, that's the reason I was using it as a case study for so long before we met, because you've done some really extraordinary things. And it'd be great to find out what those things are, what's the impact been on people. Uh, a lot of people listening to this will be busy professionals working in environments. and What can they take from that and try and take back to their workplaces? And what's the impact been on, on really focusing on well-being as a competitive advantage rather than perhaps a nice to have or in some instances mm. not doing anything at all? But let's start with the, the organization you work in here. What, got, what took you there? And then going back further, what's the history of Forster? And why is well-being such an entrenched part of it? Uh, so Forster has been around for 23 years now, and we've always looked at doing communications that kind of protect and improve lives. So there generally is a social change or a kind of environmental behavior change element to all of the work that we do. And I think as a result of being set up and that very much being like the purpose of the work that we're doing, we've always been a values-led business and trying to make sure that we are... I hate the phrase, but practicing what we preach, sort of like making sure that we're looking after our own employees if we're encouraging people in the wider public to be recycling or getting on their bikes or kind of making positive changes to their behavior and habits and things like that. Mm. So well-being and, and kind of that employee well-being piece has always been led from the top and we're lucky in that sense not having to kind of fight for buy-in for various initiatives. Mm. But we are also a small business. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, you were founded by Jilly Forster. So yes. does she herself have a high sense of well-being? Is she very active, you know, eats well, moves well, sleeps well? I'm imagining the answer here. But. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think having that energy in, you know, in the leadership team, has empowered people from across the business to kind of suggest and do different initiatives ourselves. So like running clubs or yoga, or whatever is, is, you know, someone can just get up and do it or suggest it. And knowing that, that that's going to have support from the 
from her and our leadership team. So, yeah. I think that's really crucial. If somebody at the the top of an organization, no matter what size they are, because I think you're about 25 people, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've got a small agile organization. Some of the other case studies I've used have been companies like Procter & Gamble. So irrespective of the size, I think if you're trying to affect a change around well-being, when somebody at the top is willing to say, actually, this is what mental health means to me, this is what movement means to me, this is what I do to protect my health, it's much easier to affect a culture change further down the chain, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that all those senior leaders that have come out yesterday saying, I, you know, I've had mental health issues. Oh, not yesterday, it was on Sunday. But yeah, I think that the power in that of having super senior people in the organisation helps a huge way to around the stigma. And mm. yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you were saying it was very important to, to foster because of the work you do with social causes and so on. Yes. And a values-led business. We're a B corporation, so we're reporting on kind of social and environmental performance metrics alongside financials. Uh And we, with the kind of values piece, run that through all of our learning and development as well as that helping kind of structure different wellbeing initiatives. And I say wellbeing, but that covers anything from employee benefits through to our learning and development program or kind of ways that we get involved with the community and things like that so the well-being is kind of physical and mental health as well as your kind of social and cultural I don't know if that's the right word you know what the ways that you give back and get involved and things like that as well I think you go are a huge part of what gives someone purpose and a reason to come to work and all that sort of thing all of which are key contributors, I think, to well-being. But the, the term well-being, I mean, is it a term that you like? Uh, what does it mean to you? What contributes to well-being? Yes, I think it kind of, I feel like it's been like watered down in a way. Mm. Mm. But so do I, yeah. because it is this like buzzword that everyone uses now, and obviously it means different things to different people, because it's so mainstream, it's okay to talk about looking after your well-being and that's maybe a positive thing that's come out of it being everywhere. It's just, I think it also, the downside of that is that it can be a bit dismissed sometimes, like a Mm. fluffy thing Mm. rather than actually one of the biggest reasons that makes you productive and want to come to work and do a good job and, and perform well. I mean, really, what we're talking about is health, isn't it? And, and the health of your people is the health of your business. Yeah. If you have people whose well-being is not prioritised, who aren't happy, energised, well-nourished in terms of food and sleep and other things, and aren't connected to the purpose of the organisation, then you have a toxic organisation. It's as simple as that, mm-hmm. I think, to address the health of the people yeah. for the health of the business. I don't think everyone gets that yet. Yeah. Which is why, you know, outside of my business, one half is, is working with businesses, as you know, and the other is working with individuals, typically chronically stressed, burnt out, busy professionals who aren't sleeping well. They're reliant on sugar, caffeine and alcohol and tired. You know, that, that's not an untypical demographic, unfortunately, particularly in the city of London where we're both based. But mm. I think there is the, the tide is turning a little bit. I mean, well-being... I still think people talk about well-being in terms of 
a nice to have almost, you know, or let, let's mm. just get someone in to drop a you know, perk box, you know, nothing against perk box, but it's not really a robust part of a wellbeing strategy, in my opinion, or getting someone mm. to come in and do the odd yoga class or, you know, these things are perks, really. They're not a robust part of a wellbeing strategy. They're not really addressing yeah. most of the issues that I see in companies, which is a lack of energy, a lack of vitality, and as a result, poor performance, poor health. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we are a service-based company, so without the people, exactly as you say, mm. we haven't got a service to sell. And but you know, being based, our the work that we do is communications, and and what makes it so successful is that it's audience-led, and the and the stuff that we do for clients is exactly what we do for ourselves, but. Mm the priorities and motivators and interests of our employees of like any human being change over time. So making sure that any program or anything that you do is, you know, what our employees want has an impact. Like we can track and see that there is improvements or that there's feedback that that is something that's kind of meaningful to them Mm. is what makes us win awards for it I suppose in, a yeah. blunt, in the bluntest sense but yeah if you're not asking for feedback or it's not suggested by them in the first place then how could you possibly know whether it's working yeah so how I mean you, as a small company of 25 people I guess it's quite easy to understand what the impact is of what you're doing but what is it that you do in terms of the well-being strategy or to, to create that vital and energized workforce do you mean literally like what yeah, literally initiatives yeah. in place? Okay. Yeah. So lots of stuff around kind of physical health and well-being. So incentivizing physical exercise like cycling or walking to work and meetings. People can get cash back or holidays. We also have company bikes in the office that people can use and you know, if they've never ridden a bike before, if they're not sure how to get home, they can do cycle confidence training. We've got all the kits. So kind of like that whole add-on features to make sure that people are feel confident to get on their bikes. Breakfast, it's not a fancy breakfast offering, but there's a healthy breakfast that people can come in and have in the office and there's free fruit and that kind of thing. And it also means that people are eating breakfast together and talking and, and sharing stuff, which is really important for our client work and an easy way to kind of build a culture around something like a healthy meal. Mm-hmm. We have paid time off for volunteering, which kind of goes back to the values piece and asking people to share what they've spent their time off doing. And it could be kind of planting trees if that's what they're into, but quite often it's different like communications, like our service type offering, but for charities or whatever they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And... We do lots of stuff around mental health. So, I mean, particularly that comes back to the kind of training piece. But I think, like you were saying, there's lots of busy people and it's at the end where you're trying to help prevent burnout. So things like managing your relationship with your smartphones, for example, or resilience training, having like good tools in place to track time spent and seeing whether people's workload is you know consistently over what it should be and then we have personal development reviews where we build in questions around personal needs so that could be reasonable adjustments like I need to work from home or in a quiet space for a certain amount of time or 
you know, anything around sort of flexible working or the desk space, like the physical space that they're in. Yeah. So, so just those, in terms of the, the mobile phone. Yeah. How does that work? Because it might be perceived as being quite intrusive, you know, trying to mm. part people with their phones or re-educate them on how to have a more healthy relationship with their mobile. How do you get around that? What, what's the kind of feedback you get when you introduce that? I mean, it's about individuals taking ownership and, and finding a way that works for them. So we don't kind of dictate what they should and shouldn't be doing, but we can show them that, especially like with the leadership team, kind of not sending emails within a certain time gives a bad mm-hmm. impression and kind of just reiterating that, I suppose. Yeah. It's a tricky one because you don't want to be big brotherish, but also, mm. and I think, you know, we're an agency. We've got clients who have made requests that don't fit into that nine to five model. And so it's about teaching people to be confident to kind of almost push back and and kind of speak up or say that they'll get back to them in a more reasonable time rather than, okay, by 10 p.m. tonight sort of thing. That's an interesting Uh one. So there's so many different elements. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What kind of thing do you do in terms of teaching people to push back? Because that's a really tricky one, but... I know lots and lots of people who are so reactive, you know, if they're told to stay late, they stay late and they just feel quite powerless over that part of their mm. role. How do you help people get that, that sort of conviction to push back a bit? Especially it's tricky when it's clients as well, because yeah. you know, there's and always that sort of worry about keeping them happy. Yes, definitely. And there's good and bad clients that over the years, you just have to kind of, I think it's very much up to the, more senior people in the project teams showing and helping the more Mm. junior ones or you know standing up if it gets to a point that's quite bad but the more you kind of talk openly about what is and isn't unacceptable behavior then people will feel okay flagging that behavior I suppose it's hard I don't have an egg I don't (laughs) I don't have a solution but yeah do you get any external training on that or is it sort of leadership led? Yeah, in, you know, we have had external trainers and we also consistently have lots of little bite-sized training internally that's from different people. So it, we can be flexible in that sense and just do reminders and that kind of reminder sessions rather mm. if, if it's becoming something that we need to talk about and do something urgently mm. with being quite reactive with the training. Right. And proactive, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's training around kind of pushing back with clients and, and maintaining sort of healthy hours and healthy relationships with clients and with workload. So you reward people for walking in or cycling in and they get cash back or additional holiday, healthy breakfasts, encouraging communities, so people eating together and bonding and connecting, particularly at the start of the day, which I think is great. What's obviously you've won an award. What have been the other measurables that, you know, what, what impact has all this had? Mm. I mean, for example, we, on your engagement and retention. Yeah, we, oh, I wish I knew the stats off my head. I mean, we have got low turnover. Mm-hmm. What happens, and I don't know if this is the curse of any small business, but, you know, it's a good company to work for and you've got young people coming through, but not necessarily loads of senior positions for them to progress into 
so we try to kind of run internships and work experience placements so that we can drive kind of diversity and inclusion practices, but we don't necessarily have the luxury of keeping everyone on in that sense. Mm. Uh, we've got really low sick days that we track and report on. We track on cycling and walking like commuter journeys. We also look at more like qualitative feedback. So with through employee surveys, asking things around whether employees feel supported by their line managers, whether they feel like we are encouraging resilience and, and healthy lifestyles and whether they feel like they've got the training and support to kind of back that up. Mm. And I think that almost is when you have feedback like that, it's almost more important than how many people are cycling to work every morning. Yeah. If you yeah. can ask people whether they feel supported and get an honest answer, then yeah. we must, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's useful well, to know. The absenteeism rate is very low, isn't it? Isn't it about 2.9 days per employee per annum compared to, an ind- to a country average of 6.6? It's very significant. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being able to use like the Britain's Healthiest Workplace, for example, you do quite an extensive survey through them that checks what you say you are doing as an organisation and then is also garnering all this feedback from the employees about whether, whether they have access to and whether they're using different elements. And that helps kind of shape what you want to prioritize for the next year and look at whether you want to do stuff around smoking or exercise or whatever. Mm. So getting feedback like that and being able to track against industry standards and things like that is really useful. What I admire is one of the many things I admire is you keeping your ear to the ground and constantly listening to the feedback you're getting from your workforce rather than Mm. guessing what the issues might be or just blindly assuming there aren't any, which of course there will always be, you know, you're, you're actually, listening taking the pulse of the which is a bit scary i think i think it's really scary asking for feedback yeah it takes guts absolutely yeah and also we can't do everything you know even if we like we've just moved office recently for example and had loads of suggestions from people and then may you know you've kind of presenting that back and going yes we're doing these things now that's fine changes yes we want to do these things but we, we can't right now for whatever reason and then no we're not going to do these for xyz and it's like you've kind of then fed that back and so they can see the loop of asking for feedback and also something happening as yep. a result yeah and uh, we, we did a an audit recently for an organization of about 480 people and it was so interesting because the things they were really worried about came back as they didn't te- seem appear to be much of an issue uh, the things that they didn't weren't even aware of were actually a, a big issue for quite a number of people um, and some of the stuff that the overwhelming majority really requested was such an easy fix mm. you know it really didn't require very much going out and negotiating a discount with a local vendor of something or other you know was one of them so but you need to ask the questions you need to listen to what people say and Mm. rather than just guessing or, or putting your head in the sand thinking there's nothing going yeah. on that's that's a really key and there's thing. so there's i mean we we're small we can do something on survey monkey if we need to but there's amazing suppliers who can do them if you've got 500 5,000 employees it's yeah. i don't think that i don't think that's an excuse that it's hard to it, it doesn't cost a huge amount i know because we, we my business yeah. does it it doesn't cost a huge amount to, to find that out and the information is invaluable mm. 
you know, when you consider that it costs 30,000 to train a new hire, and if you, your retention rate is high, it doesn't take you know, much to do the maths and figure out that actually mm. cost of a survey, X thousand, cost of bringing in a new employee, least three or four times that. And if we mm. could just get our retention up by a few percentage points, it's easily paid for itself. I mean, you, you touched on something earlier about ownership. To what degree do you think that the well-being of an individual in a workforce is their responsibility, the employer's responsibility, or you know, what ratio is it? Is it kind of a 50-50 mutual responsibility? Yeah, I definitely think so. It, there has to be an environment that supports well-being, but it's up to the individual to, to do it and mm. to take advantage of those things. And if, if it isn't 50-50, if it's all push from one side, then you're just this employee thinking that Big Brother is nagging you to go to the mm. gym, which is never going to work. Mm. And likewise, if you're an employer pushing again, uh, an employee rather like, and there isn't the support there from the company, then that can just lead to kind of disillusionment. That's not the right word, but that's what causes turnover and things like that, I think. And, and disengagement for a job. That's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think it's a mutual obligation. So as an employer, you create an environment where I'm not going to be subjected to harsh lights. I'm not going to be made to work long hours. You'll stand up for me when a client demands that I stay late and complete a piece of work. I won't be contacted on my phone when I'm on holiday. I won't get a flurry of emails from my superiors yet be told, you know, don't reply. Obviously, this is for the morning. Mm. You know, there'll be a culture there that's energizing. There'll be lots of promotion of movement within the workplace, standing desk provided, micro breaks endorsed, all that kind of thing. And on the employee side, bringing the right amount of energy to do your job well and effectively, which involves making sure you get to bed and get adequate amounts of sleep, managing your own mental health, of course, backed up by the employer's actions. I think all of those form this kind of a mutually beneficial relationship. And why not back that up by having the whole thing measured every six or 12 weeks, uh, mm. whereby I can say, look, you know, this is, these are the pressures I've been subjected to in the last few weeks. I, it's been very difficult for me to come with adequate sleep and adequate energy. And it's a difficult one because it is starting to get a little bit more personal, I suppose, than we're used mm. to. But, and it's weird, isn't it? You know, the whole mobile phone thing. I remember when I started working, whenever it was, 1997, if you, put, you had a mobile and they were quite new then, you usually turned it off when you walked into the workplace. Now it's very yeah. common to see, you know, people, I mean, this is on flight mode, but mobile phones on the table in business meetings. You know, if, mm. if I was coming to pitch to you, I wouldn't have my phone even on the table on flight mode because of what I think it says. Mm. And you don't know it's on flight mode unless I tell you. And then why don't I just put the thing away and then it's not even on the table. It's strange how it's, it's kind of changed the way that we work. And I think we need to sort of change the whole attitude towards work as well and start having conversations around lifestyle, it, you know, mm. couched in the right terms to make sure that people yeah. are bringing their, their, you know, their, their full personality to work, but they're also bringing the amount of energy and vitality that's required to perform. Yeah, definitely. If we've got a new starter, they will have coffees for the first six weeks with a different person or senior junior, you know, whatever, across the business mm. and just going out of the office and talking about what it's like and, you know, goes a huge way to helping them understand what the culture of us is like and 
that you won't get in a meeting or a like a town hall meeting or whatever yeah it's a hard thing to write down on a piece of paper you almost need yeah and I guess people know about you by reputation in terms of the work you do with social causes but also how you you know the culture that you've created internally so you're attracting a certain type of person that probably wants to be in that environment and responds really positively I guess if you got someone that, that wasn't into being incentivized to ride a bike and didn't care for free breakfast or anything then that's fine that they you know you leave them to it providing that they're meeting the standards that are expected of them but just by providing that environment in which you can be active and it not look odd if you're stepping out every hour for five minutes just to get some fresh air and some daylight, I think that that's really important for people's well-being. We need to bring more of that in mm. to, to other organisations of all sizes. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> so last few minutes, is there anything else that you particularly wanted to mention around the whole well-being piece? And what's, what's in the pipeline for you guys as well? How are you staying competitive, both in terms of driving, of attracting talent to your business but also winning awards? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, the two biggest issues for our industry, diversity and inclusion and mental health, and I think mental health, we're very much pioneers, but you absolutely can't rest on your laurels. And if we did, then we'd be in big trouble. So it's almost like it's the everyday stuff and making sure that it keeps happening is what's going to keep us up to speed in that area. Mm. The inclusion stuff is a bit trickier because we would love to hire lots of people, but we have less of an opportunity to do that. So how can we bring outside views and perspectives in that we can help feed into our client work, especially if we're doing projects around mental health or I don't know, getting young people to recycle and we're all over 26. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I haven't given you an exact answer. <laughs> no, well, I mean, it may be commercially sensitive as well. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sensing the winning of awards is a side benefit for you rather than, than the overall objective. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, but it helps. I mean, we don't, have huge budgets to spend on recruitment and if we can spend money on winning awards that's a really good way to attract people and kind of people as you say that have this energy to kind of perform and and succeed so it's about being a bit clever in that sense and also it's really nice for the team to kind of celebrate that you know if we are winning a healthy workplace award that's them being healthy so it's fantastic for them to be able to celebrate yeah I agree I think I guess the takeaway from this is that ultimately we do need to take ownership of our health. But when you're looking around for your next employer, or even if you've no plans on moving, you know, look at little things that you could perhaps do, you could instigate, like getting up every hour. You know, we, we tend to be quite sheep-like, don't we? If somebody stands up every hour, just moves around the office, tops up their water, stands up for phone calls, you put laptop table into Google and for £25 you can get this device that your concertina is up and it, be, it turns a desk into a standing desk. You can put your laptop on top of it. Alternatively, a stack of books will also do the same thing. Little things like that, just to hack a bit more movement into the day. Maybe, you know, ha- having other Take sort of... Meeting for a walk. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm a massive fan of walking meetings. We don't have much need to do it within body shop, but 
you're always talking about walking meetings. You know, you've got lots of blood flowing throughout the body. You haven't got the sort of eye-to-eye contact that we, for example, have now. You're both looking forward, so it's a little bit less intense. Encourages neurogenesis, promotion of new brain cells, just gets mm-hmm. the conversation flowing a bit easier often. So things like that. And if anyone's listening who runs a business, you know, you as the leader, you're the engine of that business. So how are you coming across in terms of prioritizing your own health and what kind of a culture are you creating for other people with some of the, the practices that you have and or how can you change that so that, that people can be healthier? Because I do believe that well-being will be the ultimate competitive advantage soon. I think, you know, you were in my boardroom session last month. I don't think people will be competing via salary packets, company cars, corner offices anymore. You know, they're kind of high level perks but at any level of the organization across any generation this is not just millennials i think people will be looking more for what's the culture like is it a culture predicated around well-being and they will be the companies that attract and ultimately retain the talents not those in a sort of more traditional at your desk no breaks you know expected to be on email at the weekends and holidays i think that will start to see a real shift away from that and it can only be to the the benefit of our individual well-being mm. Yep, here, here. <laughs> cool. Okay, that's probably a good place to leave things. That's, that's gone really quickly. Okay, I want to thank you. Firstly, I applaud you for all the work you do and, and Forster. And thank you for your time during this conversation as well. It's been really interesting. No worries. Thanks. Pleasure. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.